Hey everyone, Alan Smithson here with the XR for Business podcast. Today we're speaking with Richard Hess, the immersive experience lead at the massive multinational Nestle, making a billion products a year, a day, he said, but and I don't know, a lot of products. You have them on your shelf, you have them in your fridge. We're going to be speaking with Rich about Nestle's VR and AR efforts in marketing, sales, enterprise solutions, and training. All that and more on the XR for Business podcast. Rich, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. You and I have spent a lot of time kind of talking over the phone, but also spending some time on a panel at AWE. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've crossed paths a few times. I'm just happy to be here to talk a little bit about what we're doing at Nestle. We're super excited. Why don't you make an introduction to you and what you're doing in XR with Nestle? Sure. So for myself, I've been with Nestle for about 10 years now, first based out of the U.S., working for our waters division there, mostly supporting digital marketing on the technology side. If you go back 10 years ago, you know, the mobile phone was becoming big. People started looking at social media as a way to communicate. Through that journey, around three years ago, spent about a year in San Francisco, starting uh, with our innovation outposts that we have out there looking at emerging technologies and that's kind of where i kind of gain a passion for augmented virtual reality uh, mixed reality extended reality whatever kind of acronym comes in that come in the space there realities all the, all, all the realities yeah <laughs> funny i actually wrote an article you can find it on linkedin it's called the abcs of r oh yeah there we go that's good. I got to take a look at that. But yeah, that's that's when I, we started getting a bit more hands-on from my end of the organization of, of getting, okay, seeing a lot of tangible use cases. And around a little more than two years ago, I came over here to Barcelona where Nestle has set up this uh, global digital hub that was mostly at the time looking more marketing and sales focused on how do we kind of build centralized global platforms and products and services that can serve all of our markets and brands across the world, but now is more holistic across uh, all different use cases. So whether it's in uh, the factory supply chain, HR, et cetera, it's kind of looking across the whole spectrum. So the past two to three years or so, I've been looking at augmented virtual reality uh, in that way of how do we take all these little different one-offs, experiments that we've done, and when we see a lot of tangible value in leveraging these technologies, we try to bring them to scale and something that is kind of a full industrialized product that the rest of the organization can take advantage of. Let's give an example of one that you are kind of, you did a pilot, you realized the success of it, and now you're kind of... Well, I think a really good example, and it's, when you think about it, it's a very simple one, but what we used for augmented reality within a sales kind of organization was using AR as kind of a, a tool in the salesperson's toolbox, right? So we have a brand called Nestle Professional, and they mostly sell to people like hotels, restaurants, big convention centers, cafeterias. And they're selling often these big, say, industrial coffee machines, right? These big Nescafe machines. You need two people to carry. They're very heavy. And often when they were trying to make a sale in order to do this, they had a paper cutout 2D of the machine. They put it down on a table and they say, okay, imagine there's a coffee machine here. Or they would take out a tape measure and start you know, showing them the dimensions, giving them a flyer, things like this. Or usually what would have to happen is we would have to actually ship a machine out before a sale. And more often than not, you have to then ship that machine back without closing the sale. It costs time. It costs money. It's ineffective. So just a simple use case of say, hey, why don't we digitize this and use augmented reality to 
display what the machine would look like, surround it with, say, certain hotspots of different sales material, promotions, uh, switching different colors or different models, go through the entire catalog of different machines. That was something that it's not the, say, sexiest use case of AR. Uh, to your purists, it seems very simple, something that's been around a while. But being able to do that at scale and say, oh, hey, we're going to take all of our sales reps and the U.S., test and learn this out, get some feedback. The feedback right away was, this is actually providing value. My competitor doesn't have this, or if they do, it's you know, not at this scale. This can provide a lot of value back to us. And even reducing the number of visits going to a customer from three to two in order to make a sale, and each one of those costs a couple hundred dollars, you start to look at, okay, bringing that to the entire sales organization uh, in that region, you start to see tangible dollars back. You get to a point where you can go to a senior leadership or, you know, at an executive level and say, augmented reality is not something that's just a cool thing that's going to get our salespeople excited. We can show it's actually, you know, affecting bottom line or it's it's a reducing cost to salespeople that are trying to do their jobs. So that was just kind of one example where we started really small, maybe half a dozen sales reps in the U.S., and as we've built it along, and as the technology moves along, we move with it, you know, starting from, say, you had to have a marketer kid around with you to display that machine to, say, then world tracking to then, you know, the advancements of more web AR that's coming and quick look functions in the phone. We've been able to take that and then scale it to, say, all the what we call Zone Americas, uh, which would be both North and South America. And looking to next year, we're going to try to take that more globally into different markets in Europe and places in Asia, Africa. That's the type of uh, scale uh, that I think you know, we're looking for for augmented reality, where you know, it's providing a lot of utility and a lot of value added back. Uh, is something that can it's easy to prove or there's tangible ROI there. So how are you measuring ROI on that? If you have measurement like decreasing sales visits from three to two, that's that's demonstrable value immediately. But how else were you measuring KPIs and ROI in order to, to go and prove that business case to your senior execs? Well, definitely the one around cost avoidance is, is a big one and that, and that helps speed things along. But also um, when you're getting, say, feedback directly from the customers themselves, whether it's surveys, whether it's uh, repeated purchases, people that want to get more from that. So for example, last year, we, we made a uh, purchase for the Starbucks out-of-home business and saying now, instead of just say the machines pairing that with um, different uh, products that could be on the Starbucks line, whether it's um, different coffee corners. And the coffee corner would be uh, this big cabinet that has a coffee machine there that people go self-serve. You, you would see it probably places in the U.S. and Canada, like at a gas station or something like this, uh, or even just um, different point of sales material to help sell different packets and stuff like that. Adding these tangible things over time to make it as much of a sales tool for the Nestle sales rep, but also as a tool for the boutique owner or somebody that's looking to sell this to customers, um, being able to see a swing and an uptick in net sales uh, is certainly that's the golden goose, if you will. That that's the one that everyone's chasing, and we're starting now to see that over time a little bit more. Uh, but for sure, what gets kind of the lightning rod started is to say we can reduce costs right away and provide a more enriched tool. 
let's get that to get the ball rolling and then we'll see the sales be brought over time. And we were able to measure also metrics not related, say, to finance or numbers, but uh, if we're able to say this many people or say scanning different environments or scanning that leaflet or using world tracking, this is the amount of unique people are doing it versus the number of times they're scanning. You can uh, measure how many times people are going into stores, how many times they have to scan these things, how many people are doing it versus how many times they, they are doing it. You could draw those numbers back to, okay, did this lead to a sale or not? And so that's the kind of metrics that we're starting to collect across the board. How are you tracking that? Are you doing it through your uh, Salesforce or whatever your CRM is? Not so much CRM. So I think CRM integration is is more of a long-term play for us. And it was kind of important to, I guess, have it in a siloed approach, at least initially, uh, just because we wanted to be fast moving and, and get the ball rolling and helping develop the overall business case. Uh, so when we look at say a big CRM integration, especially with a company like ours, where you have a CRM tool that's supporting you know, tens of thousands of employees, pushing AR integration from the get-go to that, that's probably going to be a project that's going to be 18 months long. So where we were more starting first is like, let's prove the concept around augmented reality first and see that provides value. We can probably do that project or that first test and learn in around eight to 10 weeks and then build upon that. And then more have this kind of convergence down the road to say, okay, everyone's agreeing that this provides a lot of tangible value. Now it's time to say, integrate this as just a function or feature of a a CRM tool. I would more say looking at augmented reality that way is not the AR tool that we're adding the CRM functionality too. It would be more long-term. How do we add the AR feature to our CRM tool? I think that's the more long-term play, but in terms of adding value now, it's certainly the AR uh, providing that as a standalone. Yeah, I think that this has come up a few times where making AR for the sake of AR is interesting, but when you make it as a subset of the bigger sales tool and say, okay, well, it's just it's just a feature within the sales tool, you're still going to have printed materials, you're still going to have all these other things. It's just another amazing tool in a salesperson's arsenal. Exactly. It will never, I don't think, at least for the foreseeable future, it's never going to be the end all to be all and replace everything. Uh, it will certainly always be at least initially, an enhancer to everything else that we have going on and more competitive advantage where other companies are not using it and you are, you will have the ability to differentiate yourself against your competitors for sure. So I have a couple of technical questions. How many products did you did you do the whole catalog of, of these devices? Or was it something that you rolled out with five models and then slowly kind of iterated on? And uh, so that's question one. Question two is, where did you get the models from? Was this from your manufacturing partners? And then the last question I have is, what was the platform you used to make this happen? Great. Yeah. So for the first one, we started off small, of course. Uh, so we did t- two models to start saying, okay, let's do a coffee machine and a juice machine. So that was what we started off first. And with that initial test with those half a dozen sales reps, as I said, it was just around these two models. Let's get it out there. Let's see if there's tangible value added back. Let's get that feedback and see if we should go from there. Because we were also in a place like, okay, we're, we're assuming this is going to work, but we need to actually put it out there before we make a large investment to justify us making a bigger investment. When we did see it was adding value, we said, okay, let's start to roll this out to different regions. So starting in the US, we started then to say, roll it out into Latin America countries, such as uh, Chile, Brazil, Peru. 
And we were looking at say, okay, let's add a couple more models, see how this goes. Uh, maybe there's different makes per market that we had to take a look at. And actually one of the challenges that we did find at the time was when you look at the maturity, say, of smartphones around the world, it is getting up there where a lot of phones say, we'll have air kit, of course, the newer iPhones, air core for a lot of uh, newer Android models. But when you go to certain markets, say like Brazil, we are discovering a lot of sales reps are being issued phones that are five, six years old. Sometimes they don't even have gyroscopes in them. So we had to kind of take a step back and say, well, okay, we were making maybe some assumptions that this is going to work out of the box. We're going to have the best experience, uh, throw on some world tracking through AR core on Android. Uh, and we quickly had to be like, whoa, okay, we have to maybe take a step back and, and think about what's the right way of doing this. Oh, hold your horses, man. There's still people on texting phones. Of course, of course. <laughs> it was quite a lesson learned for us to say, okay, let's make sure that we're identifying this up front. We're building a solution that's holistic for everyone. So now we have a bit of a mix of different, say, tracking mechanisms or triggers that would enable the experience. But from there, after we did have that fallback option for Latin America, that's when the brand was more convinced to say, all right, let's start to do this for you know, this entire region with all the different machines and coffee corners. And you look at a total volume for that, you're looking at around two dozen different models as well. For different use cases outside of, say, this Nestle Professional with sales things, if I take a look at uh, Nespresso, for example, this is something when we look to say, okay, how do we enable Quick Look or Web Air functions on our e-commerce sites? We are looking at doing the entire range of Nespresso models, and that's up to around high 80s, 90s, different models that we have with different accessories, different colors, things like this. So we're starting to kind of get to a point where a lot of people are seeing the value for it, and they're kind of going all in and saying, let's throw it on our website, let's try it out, let's get a lot of different feedback and, and change it as needed. When it comes to the models themselves, it's a very interesting question. Another lessons learned that we had internally for that, because as you know, there's there's almost hundreds of ways to say create the more raw CAD file for complex machines, say like coffee machines like Nespresso or, or things like this, but even point of sales all on these lines. So we were dealing with a scenario where we were getting them in any different type of format in 3D quality that you can imagine often something as big as multiple gigabytes, something you can't say put into an AR experience that you expect a consumer is going to, to leverage, right? It, it wouldn't work that way. So we had to do a lot of what we called kind of like 3D model curation. So we would have to either take the existing model or know what the model that say they were trying to bring to life in AR, have a lot of the 2D, say high res photos of them, because often you're selling a, something like a coffee machine, you have uh, an e-commerce site that's also selling this, and there's a lot of photos that uh, have from different sides of the machine. Those have been dumbed down for more high quality ones that have been taken as in a product shoot somewhere. So we would have to take either that existing 3D model or 2D photos of those machines, uh, the different dimensions of them, and then go through a process of recreating that model that's kind of AR ready, good to go, something that's two to three megabytes tops that is in kind of GLTF, GLB format, uh, something that we can plug and play really easily into an AR or VR experience. So I think for us, I think the industry will eventually move towards something where there'll be some type of automation 
for that and then ingestion engine probably for say taking um certain models from different formats and then spinning them out into something that's air air friendly you look at Companies like Autodesk have platforms that they're developing that say that, that the goal is to do that. For us, we were more partnering with different providers that had capabilities in that space to be able to help us bring that to life. People that were building their startups or business models around that specific use case that there's going to be a content there. Well, there is, there's a content problem of trying to develop a lot of these things at scale. And they're going to help for the first start of that, providing different resources that can create these from scratch with a more of a long-term goal to say, how do we automate that in the future? That's everybody's goal. I actually just saw an article yesterday that NVIDIA is working on creating 3D models from 2D photographs. Yeah. So something like that, when we see stuff like that, it definitely gets us excited of looking at scale because you said in the beginning, Nestle, this huge conglomerate, we have 2,000 brands. Uh, we operate in around 180 countries around the world. In order to do this at a massive scale, you're looking for all the tools that you can get in order to reduce the burden of, of creating a lot of this stuff. So being able to say, do what you said with NVIDIA and create a 3D model from a 2D image, um, that's something that would definitely help along those lines. Yeah, that's that's like the penultimate, if we can get to that. When we get to that, it's not even an if anymore. It's like there's so much research being done in this. I have a whole folder on 3D from 2D images. So there's lots of people working on it. You, you talked about uh, kind of working with startups uh, to help get you where you need to be. What is the platform that you're using to kind of distribute this? Because you talked about Quick Look and AR. Are you just using kind of Apple's framework for that? And then what about people on Android? What is the actual nuts and bolts of it? We do look at um, partnering a lot with different startups or platforms that are uh, either emerging or established in the space. Every company has to be a digital or technology company today. But again, at our core, we're a food company. We don't have, say, teams of developers that are doing this space. We're not developing our own proprietary AR tracking technology or things like this. So we are leveraging what's out there. So whether we're working with say, uh, I would call them like AR content platforms. For example, we, we do some work with Zapper as one of them. There are some more emerging platforms. They're looking at AR from an e-commerce perspective, which is great from our end because obviously there's a lot that needs to go into educating you know, different marketers and people in Nestle. People get excited about this, but again, you have to bring it back to that tangible use case of where it's going to provide value. So easy for us to chase the shiny objects. It really is. It really is. And it's interesting. Five years ago, we were doing 360 videos. And then we said, okay, well, this is easy. Move on to something more difficult. We Then we did videogrammetry and volumetric capture. And then we did incredibly complex 3D models. And then you VR where you could get right in. And, and it turns out the 360 video stuff we were doing years ago is like what people want. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, that's perfect for what I need. I'm like, oh, they, man. Yeah, they st <laughs> there's still a lot of tangible value in, in doing that. Yeah. One of the things that I, I think is, is valid for Nestle and for every company is a simple 360 tour of the facility for new employees. Just simple, here's what our facility is, here's where the kitchen is. You can kind of navigate around even just a Matterport tour of the facility before you even get on, on site because a lot of the first few days of a new employee's role is wandering around trying to find out where yeah. to go. So if you could shorten that and put it in VR and let them do that at home, then you've just saved a couple of days of exactly that's actually something we've done a bit with purina in the, in the u.s uh so purina pet food company they've done some a lot of work around 
they would call VR factory tours. So putting, say, employees or customers into their different factories, having them navigate through it, interact with some things, learn a lot about them. From an employee side, sometimes it's people that support these guys, maybe from the IT perspective or HR perspective day to day, the factory employees that you know, have to have access to the different tools and things like this. They've never actually been to a factory sometimes, uh, which sounds kind of crazy, but when you're working a company as big as ours, that, that does happen. So just being able to put them in a VR experience, and, and for this, they use the Quest in order to do that, something that they can buy a couple of, carry around, bring them around the office, things like this, and put them through that tour, it gets a lot of tangible feedback. But at the end of the day, it's a high quality 360 video that has some interactivity that's been laced throughout it, but it is really effective content. Like it's really good and it incites like emotion and it gets the point across. So we don't need to overcomplicate things. Actually, you've said that twice now. The 360 video uh, stuff works and it's simple and it doesn't need to be crazy complex. And then also with uh, the stuff in the AR quick look stuff, it doesn't need to be super complicated. You don't need to have a multi-exploded view of the of the product. You just need to see it on the shelf in the right size and say, okay, that doesn't fit. Exactly. I mean, there's always a time and a place for the more enriched, complex experiences for sure. But yeah, often what consumers want to see, they want to see, hey, buy a new coffee machine. Is it going to fit in my counter? Am I going to like how it looks? Things like this. It's a very quick five to six second decision whether or not they're going to move forward. How are you guys using this kind of on the enterprise side and in your factories? Are you using AR at all on the factory floor? Absolutely. And where we look at it a bit differently from what I was discussing before is, so if we take a step back, look at Nestle factories, we have, I think around 400, don't hold me to this number. I think it's 418 factories around the world, 300,000 employees. Whether or not my team exists here in Barcelona, somebody has used augmented virtual reality in this organization before, right? Uh, so a lot of what we were doing when it was coming to the enterprise side initially was trying to understand who's been doing what, what ongoing experiments have been happening, who are the evangelists in this company that have actually tangible hands-on experience of having it at the factory level. And when we did this kind of analysis, we did see over the past, say, half a decade or so, We've had over 30 different experiments with different form factors, like headsets, uh, whether they're mixed reality or smart glasses, different vendors out there. I, I sometimes laugh if I go to, say, uh, AWE and I meet all the different enterprise uh, vendors there, everyone's going to tell me they've, they've worked with us before, even if it's the first time I've met them. I say, I, I'm sure you have, <laughs> because there's a lot of people out there that are interested in this, uh, whether they're testing it uh, at a small scale or they want to expand. So we, we had to get a good look at that first. And what we see- Yeah, how did you collect that? So the way Nestle uh, works as well is we have people on the factory floor that are say part of what we would call our technical production organization. They have some kind of co-pilots in, in these factory areas, uh, part of our R&D organization, specifically an organization called PTC, which is our product technology center. So they often try out new digital technologies in these spaces to see if they're viable for factory floors. So what we're finding is, yeah, often, yeah, they were uh, testing a lot of this stuff out. We had to do a lot of internal networking. And we have actually also implemented across the organization, not just augmented virtual reality. It could be 
AI, digital twin, robotics, things like this. We've kind of implemented an internal, what we call an innovation repository of a space where people can submit the, the experiments they're working on, what they're trying to get out of it, where they are in their experiment, just to give exposure to other parts of the organization. Because often we're seeing, say, you take remote assistance in a factory, we're probably repeating the same experiment 15 different times in 15 different locations around the world, but these teams weren't talking to each other. So just getting exposure to different teams to say, hey, you want to do this. These five teams also did this. This is their success. This is their failures. At least build off of that. Yeah, of course. That makes way more sense than being stuck in pilot and POC purgatory forever in every division. I actually have a question about the innovation repository. How do you standardize it so that it's easy for somebody to, to look at the results? Like, do you have a standard form or? Yeah. So we, so there's, we use a platform called startup flow for that, that allows us to kind of have a good view. What's it called? Uh, startup flow. One we started using last year, uh, but it gives us a good kind of holistic view over a lot of different things that are going on. And there was a campaign to say, Hey guys, put your stuff in here. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Uh, and sometimes it's a difficult conversation because, like I said before, this is inherently cool technology. And sometimes you don't want to be told, like, you can't do it because somebody else has done it before. We did get a lot of people to understand the in, inherent value of that. And it's not to say that we've done your use case before. We're not going to do it again. More often, I think the conversation going into this year and next year is once you start to scale this across all the organization of people that raise their hands where, again, you can find a lot of tangible value added back. This just proves the use cases there in that it's going to provide us a lot of a different value. Yeah, I was just looking at the Startup Flow uh, webpage. What a great tool. Wow, super cool. Measuring the ecosystem of startups and, and new technologies and then measuring the KPIs and metrics on one single dashboard. That, that's awesome. Yeah. That's the value. Anybody who's listening, startupflow.io, I mean, that, that's worth the value of listening to this podcast in itself. Yeah, uh, it's a good tool. It's something, yeah, we're, we're using uh, a lot in our organization. What other ways are you, are you using this technology? Are you using it for training? Absolutely for training. So one example being a couple of weeks ago in a factory here in Spain in Girona, and they're kind of mandated them in a lot of different factories around the world to follow what is kind of TPM uh, certification, which I not it's not my forte this area, but I believe it's for total total production maintenance or management. But it's essentially certification for being kind of a best in practice factory. We have zero defects across the board. And one of the areas or one of the steps into getting to there is that they have to have an on-site, say, training center where employees can go and self-train themselves in different areas, whether it's um, safety areas for the, here's what you do in a confined quarters. Here's what you do, say, when there's a uh, explosive situation, like a gas leak. If you're in a, a height situation where you're up somewhere high, it's not secure. They had to have this kind of facility on site that people can go to and learn as much about that use case as they can and, and train themselves up. Now, the factory that we're talking about is one of the more kind of advanced ones in the world. It's a coffee factory. It produces a lot of the, say, Nescafe, Nescafe Dolce Gusto for good parts of the world. But going back to, we have a ton of factories, right? Over 400. Not every factory has the ability to build a huge training center on site. They need to find creative ways to essentially get this type of material out there. 
Uh, so using something like virtual reality for that, where to put them in these scenarios, and now where the form factors are, you look at, say, stuff like the Oculus Quest, where you can just have the headset, controllers, the a certain amount of space around you, you can pop into a training session and it, it's something that you can have a lot of. You don't have to set up a lot of different gaming PCs in order to enable that. That's something that brings a lot of value. You don't need as much space in order to do that and to have that type of trainings on site. That and say, going through a, a height training or explosive training in VR probably elicts much more of a emotional and personal impact to you, like a heightened sense of receiving that content than say watching a video or reading a PowerPoint or, or something like this. It's, it's certainly something that you could take a look and say it's, it's a much more effective way of learning that content and material and retaining that information over time. You guys measuring that do you do you have is it anecdotal is are you measuring kpis against that right now we're we're still starting out that use case as well it's going to be something that we're building q1 q2 next year we have done some other safety training in the u.s with our waters division that's also looking at it from that scenario like pointing out say different scenarios where you're on the factory floor you have to point out you know, different safety violations, things like this. And I believe they are making the KPIs more on how much has it reduced the number of safety infractions or reported infractions in the factory over time of the amount of people they have through the training versus the amount of reports that they get. So it's something that it's still, say, emerging for us a bit, uh, but we see a lot of big potential. And I think 2020 is where we're going to be looking at it a lot from scale. Uh, and now, is this something that, uh, again, are you working with vendors there or are you kind of uh, trying to do it in-house? Mostly, again, with vendors. And for us, we're testing and learning with a, a few different ones. But certainly, it's something that we're keeping our eye on going into next year. And I think um, just on the point of vendors, too, I should I should make a note is for a lot of these scenarios, we do, let's say, we have uh, global vendors that we love to work with, but we're always constantly working with different startups in the different communities because for technologies like this, everything is changing every three to six months. Companies are rising, falling, pivoting, being bought, picked up. So we, yep. yeah, uh, certainly we're in a scenario where we, we try to work with as many people as possible. My procurement team probably won't like me saying that, but we, we do try to. <laughs> One of the problems we've been trying to solve is how do you disrupt an industry constantly and consistently disrupting itself? And so what we've come up with is we're working on a platform marketplace for uh, training and learning technologies, because like you realized, companies are coming and going, technologies are being invented and displaced all the time. So rather than try to invent all of the different technologies and try to keep on top of it, we're building the platform that synchronizes with the CMS, that synchronizes with the LMS, that walks the customers through that and keeps them always on the most cutting edge platform across whatever device happens to be the hottest thing of the year. And so that's what we're doing and on a per user basis. Then you can just say, okay, we're going to use VR and AR across our whole enterprise and we, we now have X number of employees doing it, X number of headsets, and then it's an ongoing thing and you have access to all of the, the startups that have been pre-vetted rather than try to go through this selection period as you, as you know, is challenging, right? 
So absolutely, no, that's something uh, I would love to take a look at that <laughs> late, later after the uh, when it comes out. There's certain, certain, certainly, you know, we'll our, talk offline. Right, <laughs> I there didn't we want go. To you there we go. You know, like man, this is exactly the problem we've been trying to solve. Is like, how do you, how do you overcome the point of the that technology is changing and companies are being bought and sold and everything? And look. From our standpoint, we've started our own accelerator. You know, you're you're part of it, mm-hmm. and and being having this accelerator to find and identify this talent, uh, make sure that they are able to deliver at the level of the customer's requirements. Like you guys have 400 factories, that is a different conversation than a company that has one factory exactly. and maybe wants to do one training uh, exposure. So, and then the other side of it is being a managed marketplace. What are the things that you guys are creating in safety? Let's say, for example, a factory or warehouse for fire safety or height safety or driving. What can then be reused and resold to other companies? Nestle is different because you have 400 factories. What can be then packaged and sold to all the factories? But also, what can be genericized and resold so that everybody can be safer at work? I think, yeah, for at least from my perspective, coming up with a lot of this content, it should be something that at the end of the day, looking at proprietary, I don't think is the right way to do it. If it's for something that's safety, that's going to address scenarios that you'll find in a lot of different factories, majority of factories, right? It's something that if we could help build the ecosystem of understanding on that, and it's something that uh, other say CPGs or fast moving consumer good companies can leverage as well. I think we're okay helping pave the way for that. I am passionate about this area and I think all boats need to rise, right? I couldn't agree with you more. And the the interesting thing about this industry right now, and, I'm, and it may change because as an industry goes from nascent to prolific, the gloves come off, so to speak. But so far, every single person in this industry has been exactly that mindset. How do we all work together? Because this is not a net sum game. More wealth will be created in the world in the next 10 years than all of previous human history. So we're not scrambling to, to try to, you know, I get 10 bucks and you have to lose 10 bucks. This is not the world we live in anymore. Yeah, agreed. You, you have a unique view most people will never have. You are kind of running VR and AR for one of the largest companies on the planet across all sorts of different ways from marketing and sales to enterprise and training. It's, you really are the poster board for VR and AR in an enterprise, in a, in a company. So what problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? No, thank, thank you. No, no pressure. Uh, <laughs> there's two that come to mind. So one that may be more unique to us is uh, when it comes to the kind of indus- the food industry or the CP industry as well. Now, Nestle has made like a 2025 commitment to make all their packaging sustainable, 100% recyclable and things like this. If XR through, say, augmented reality or virtual reality to help sell a story, things like this, can help around helping people recycle, scanning more about, say, a plastic bottle, getting more information about it, directing into the nearest recycling center, gamifying it somehow to reward people for doing that. I think that's something that's powerful and using the reach that we have, we have a billion individual packages that we generate every day to get the communication out on that and tackle a problem that, you know, frankly, we help generate, right? The Nestle blockchain gamification recycling game. There you go. Yes. This is something along those lines, of course. Yeah. So I think, you know, having XR tackle 
that or, or be a, a piece in the puzzle for doing that, I think would be something that maybe more uniquely to us and more powerful, more across the industry. I think you know, helping with the massive upskilling of the workforce, whether it's robotics, removing repeatable tasks, that uh, example I gave at the factory that we were there in Girona, they're using cobots, they're using different automotive forklifts, things like this. And often the feedback is what happens to the workforce with this. And you get mixed bags sometimes, but they're like, this frees them up for doing other tasks that we need done, or we free themselves up to doing more advanced things that we want to do. I think using AR, VR, XR across the board to help skill current workers or train new workers on next level skills that they need to do, I think is also something that's going to be unique to this medium, this industry, where this will provide a lot of tangible value as a kind of learning, training, or computing platform of the future. Well, I'd have to say that uh, hats off to you uh, for those amazing opportunities because telling people, well, first of all, Nestle, hats off to Nestle for recognizing that they're causing the problem uh, or part of it and saying by 2025, we're going to solve the problem and, and, and at least fix it because it's a global problem. We need to fix it and we all need to come together and it starts with big companies who, who can do it and Nestle's in a position to to do that as well. So hats off to you guys for, for taking those initiatives and I'm really uh, excited to see where that goes and if anything, if we can help in any way, I'm happy to do so. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for joining me, man. This has been amazing. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute to learn and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, -on one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game, and also for corporates who want a real insight 
as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.